Say this with me. I know God is good. Mm. And I know His Word is truth. I have been saying that for 55 years of ministry and a couple of years before that because God said to me one day, say this. And so I said it. And then I just thought if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for y'all. And I just say it all the time. I know for an absolute fact that God's a good God. If it's bad, it's not God. If it's bad, it's not God. If it's cancer, it's not God. If it's leukemia, it's not God. Amen? Amen. If it's poverty, it's not God. All poverty, all poverty, and all sickness of every description were brewed in the cauldrons of hell. Hell, Satan brewed those up in his pot with one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to kill you. See, America, I know you're not going to believe this, you may think I'm off my rocker, but Americans really don't know anything about poverty. Now, we have poor people, but we have government and, and, and all kind of agencies to take care of that to help. But you go where I go around the world, and poverty kills people. You go where I go around the world, there's no agencies to help. There's no nothing. I mean, either you, either you figure out a way to get some money by hook or crook, steal it or make it or do something, or you're dead. You're going to die. You don't get anything to eat. Your babies don't get anything to eat. Poverty is a killer. I hate it. I absolutely despise it. And uh, sickness is the same way. There's no good sicknesses. I used to have people tell me when I was a kid, oh, God put this on me to teach me a lesson. Well, what kind of a God would do that? My mama, bless her heart, <coughs> all my life, and she's in heaven today, but all my life she had horrible migraine headaches. I mean, they were horrible. I knew they were horrible. She wasn't faking. She, I mean, they, it was bad. And I mean, they'd be so bad, she'd throw up, they'd make her nauseous. Uh, she'd keep the lights out and, because the lights, you know, hurt her eyes. And she'd, whiz, she'd have the house dark, and, 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 and this doesn't sound very nice, but I'd walk in a room and it'd smell like vomit, you know, because she'd thrown up. I mean, all my life, all my life growing up as a kid. And uh, one day I, I, was, uh, I was already married in the Army, out of the Army, had kids, uh, been in the mission fields all over the world moved to Tulsa, and one day I happened to be in West Texas, and so I went by to see her. Walked in her house, and of course nobody's there. I said, I said, Mom, hello, hello, anybody here? And uh, uh, I went back and checked in her bedroom, and heard, boy, the lights were out, and I smelled the smell, and, and uh, I said, uh, Mom, she's, boy, baby, I'm, I'm over here, darling. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, you, you, you've got a migraine headache? She said, oh, baby, oh, baby, I've got, it's so, it's so bad, it hurts so bad. It's just so bad. I, I've had it for days. Hadn't been able out, out of bed. It just, I can't. And I said, I'm so sorry. And she said this to me, and I'd heard her say it 10,000 times, but I'd never, I'd never responded like this before. She said, you know, you know, this is just, this is just, this is just a lesson. God, God's just put this on me to teach me something. And I'd heard her say that all my life. And, uh, and I know this is going to sound real disrespectful and real hard, but it got her healed. Sometimes you have to sound disrespectful and hard to get your point across. Yeah. And I said, I said, Mom, you have told me that all my life. I have heard that since I was a little boy, and I have watched you be so violently ill all my life, 
And every time you tell me that God's teaching you a lesson. And I said, after all these years, I've come to a decision that either God's a really lousy teacher or you're a really lousy student. Because whatever it is he's trying to teach you, it isn't working. He's a lousy teacher. He, he is incompetent at teaching you, and you are incompetent at learning. Oh, baby, why would you say something like that? That is so mean, darling. Why would you say that to me? I said, because God didn't do this to you. God didn't have any migraine headaches. How's he going to give you one? There's no migraines in heaven. How's God going to give you cancer? There's no cancer in heaven. Brother Terry, God gave me cancer. Where did he get it? If God wanted to give you cancer, he'd have to go steal it from his arch enemy, the devil, and come back and give it to you, his beloved. Now, what kind of a God would do that? And she said, well, baby, that's just so terrible. I said, you know what? I I'm done with this. I said, uh, I'm going down to the U-Haul place right now and rent a truck, and I'm going to come back here and pack you and this house up, and I'm moving you to Tulsa. And I said, if you stay here, you'll die. If you go to Tulsa, you'll, you'll live. You won't have migraine headaches anymore. And she said, well, well darling, you... I said, I don't want to talk about it. I, it's done. Man, I went down and rented me a U-Haul trailer, and I came back and packed that house up and packed her up, and we went to Tulsa. And I tell you, she never had another migraine headache again. Amen. God is not using sickness and disease and poverty and garbage and junk on his people. He doesn't have any. Amen. A while ago, we got that prayer request, and I was sitting there, you know, talking to Renee and, and about, about this, and, and, and just talking about, and I thought, I thought, you know, that's a perfect example of spiritual authority. She's been diagnosed with a disease from hell, so she calls the pastor and calls the church, and the pastor asks us to pray, so all of us got spiritual authority from her, permission from her, right, to pray. That wasn't just some little simple little prayer, oh, Lord, bless sister, no. That's, that, that gave us authority to pray. That gave us authority to stick our nose in. That gave us authority to tell the devil. You know, I was raised in Midland, Texas. Now, Midland and Odessa are out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, Midland got its name because it's Midland. It's midway between El Paso, 300 miles, and Fort Worth, 300 miles. It was the, it was the midpoint for the railroad. And so they called it Midland. And, uh, and all that's out there is cactus and oil wells and cattle and some cotton, and rattlesnakes. Oh, lots of, we, there are not as many jackrabbits as there was, because I depleted the population <laughs> all by myself. You saw the other night about David's mighty men of valor could sling the sling with right hand or left or throw a spear with right hand or left. Well, I could shoot right hand or left hand. It made me a bit of difference. I'd go out at night because I was by myself in the car driving. I just learned to shoot left-handed. I'm right-handed, but instead of me shooting over my body out, out my car window, I'd just shoot left-handed. But anyway, there aren't not, not as many jackrabbits now as there used to be. But there was jackrabbits, but there were rattlesnakes, which is my point. And I mean I hate rattlesnakes. I despise rattlesnakes. I'm not scared of them. I hate them. I never met a rattlesnake ever that I didn't kill. If I met one tonight, I'd kill it tonight. They have absolutely no purpose. They're like cancer, there's no purpose to that. It's like migraine headaches. There's no purpose for that. No, that's right. It's from hell. Isn't that right? And uh, as a little boy <clears throat> in the 50s, I was born in 1950, so I was going to school by 1956. I was six years old. And I'd walk 
to school every morning, walk home every night, and I did that for all those years I was in school, you know, until I got to be a teenager and got a car. And uh, I had to always watch out for snakes. I had to watch out for them going to school. I had to watch out for them coming home from school. When I went out in the backyard to play, I had to look around the backyard and make sure there wasn't any rattlesnakes that lay in, in, the, in the shade by, you know, it's hot there like it is here, so if there's something with some shade laying there, then the snake would be buried up against that shade. And if I went out in the garage, I had to look for them in the garage. Went in the front yard, I had to look for them. I mean, I, I, I had to look for them all the time. One of my friends one time went in his house and, and went to the bathroom to take a shower, and he got his clothes off, and he got in the shower, and he reached up and grabbed the shower curtain and pulled it, and it didn't pull. And he pulled it again, it didn't pull, and he looked up at the shower rod to see what was wrong with it, and that rattlesnake coiled around the, around the rods. He just left and left. said, just, you can have the shower, you forget it. <laughs> but uh, I have, I, Renee can tell you, I have a visceral reaction to rattlesnakes. When I see one, we're driving, and one's going across the road, I don't just say, oh my, my, look at that pretty little rattlesnake. No, man, I go kill it. I've killed them with guns, I've killed them with knives, I've killed them with hoes, I've killed them with rakes, I've killed them with rocks, I've killed them with sticks, I've run over them. I, I've done everything imaginable. My brother-in-law were out rabbit hunting one day, you know, and we both had rifles to shoot rabbits with, and I, and I was wearing a pistol on my, on my hip. And, uh, and, and we walked around this one little curve by this big rock, and we heard that thing go, and we both looked down, and it was coiled just like that, and just about to strike him. And so he just took his rifle and turned like that and pulled the trigger, and it clicked on an empty chamber. And I had my rifle, and I didn't have time to turn, but I just drew and shot and shot him in the head and killed him. I mean, I, I hate them. I have a visceral action to them. I said all that to say this. I really have a point in this story. I feel the same way about sickness and disease. When somebody walks up to me and says, Brother Terry, I've been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Brother Terry, I've got this. Brother Terry, I've got that. Brother Terry, Bob. I get that same reaction. I hate disease. I hate it. And anytime somebody comes to me with some, some uh, deadly disease, and, and cancer and especially, it just makes me mad. Not at the person, obviously, but at the sickness, at the disease. I, in fact, I like to pray for cancer. I like to pray for people that have cancer. I, I like to pray for tumors and curse them. And see, the word says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Jesus cursed that fig tree. He spoke to it. Actually, Mark, Mark 11 says he answered it. First time I ever saw that in my life, I was 16 years old. I was a youth leader at my church, and, and I was praying one night about my youth services, and, and my, my youth services were big. They outgrew the pastor's Sunday morning services, and we had some bang-up youth services, and people got healed and filled with the Holy Ghost and saved, and all kind of stuff, you know, delivered. And, uh, and so uh, I was praying one night about my, my youth services and about, about the next meeting we were having. I was going to preach. And, and I said, Lord, I, need a, I don't need a sermon. I need a lifestyle. I need something these kids can take and take to the bank. I need something they can use. They're, they're facing stuff every day of their life. And some of the stuff they're facing, I don't know anything about. Because my pastor was real, my, my pastor did a goofy thing came to me and said, Terry, I want, you to, I want you to start a youth group and be the youth leader. And I said, okay, whatever, you're the pastor, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I said, I've never been to a youth group. I don't know what youth groups do. And uh, the pastor said, well, just start one. And so I did. And pastor said this, this is the goofy part. Pastor said, your, 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 your range is going to be from 13 years old. Now I'm 16. You, from 13 years old to what we call young marrieds. 
Well, that's just ridiculous. And young marriage in those days would have been 20, 22, 23, 24. You know, now these kids get married later, but back then we got married early. And, and, and already got, got jobs and got kids. And so here I am, 16. I know nothing about marriage or kids or, <laughs> you know, jobs and economy. I don't know anything about what they're facing. And then I got these 13-year-olds. And in and, and West Texas, and, and that was 1966, in West Texas, we didn't, have, we didn't have drugs then. They hadn't got there yet. California, y'all kept that. And, uh, and, 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 and New York, both coasts had drugs, and they were moving their way in. We had alcohol, and we had, you know, we, we, they dipped and spit and chewed and snorted and, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, but, but drugs hadn't made the scene yet, so we, we, I didn't have to deal with that. But, but I drug a lot of kids out of bars. Man, I'd get phone calls late at night. You know, bars didn't shut till 2 o'clock in the morning. I'd, I'd get calls from my youth group at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, Terry, would you come get me? I'm drunk and I'm in a bar and I can't get home. I'd go drag them out of the bar and take them home, tuck them in, you know, and I, I'd pastor those kids. And so I said to the Lord, I, I don't need a sermon. I need a lifestyle. These, these kids, I got 13-year-olds and I got married people with kids and jobs. And I said, I, I need something they can take to the bank. I need, I need something that they can. They're facing stuff, and some of the stuff they're facing, I don't know anything about. And, uh, and, and the Lord said this to me. He said, write this down. Just like that. Write this down. Like he's mad at me or something, you know. So I grabbed a piece of paper and pencil, and I said, all right, what? And he said, you can talk like God. Well, I'd never heard anything like that before in my life, Peter. So I wrote it down. You can talk like God. I've still got the original notes from 1966. You can talk like God. And after I wrote that down, then he started giving me scripture. And he took me, obviously, to Mark chapter 11. And uh, when I got to Mark chapter 11, and I'm reading that, Jesus and the disciples had spent the night with their dear friends, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus in Bethany. And they had gotten up in the morning, and, and the boss said, Jesus said, Hey, guys, let's go to church. Okay, so they had breakfast and walked to Jerusalem. And walking to Jerusalem, they come past this fig tree. And, and I'm reading that story. I, I knew the story anyway, but I'm reading it. And uh, it got to the point where it says, he, where, where it says uh, he saw a fig tree afar off, and he came if happily he might find anything thereon, but the time of figs was not yet. And then it said this, David. I had never seen this in my Bible before ever. It said, and Jesus answered it. And I said, he did what? He answered it. You don't answer something unless it says something to you. Didn't say he spoke to it. Didn't say he cursed it. Didn't say he said. It said he answered it. That just blew me away. And I thought, that fig tree made him mad. That fig tree ticked him off. It said something to him he didn't like. And he happened to have been there in heaven when that fig tree got created. When God said, tree be, and it was, Jesus was there. He knew how that fig tree came into existence. He knew that fig tree and everything else come, had come into existence by his daddy speaking into existence with a word. So he didn't think it was weird to take it out the same way his daddy brought it in. He didn't need a shovel. He didn't need an axe. He didn't need a saw. He didn't need any plant poison. He, he just thought, Daddy brought it in with a word. I'll take it out with the word. 
And he answered it and said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. He was all ticked off. And then he just walked on, totally ignored it, went headed to church. Now don't you know if you were Peter and the boys, and the boss is talking to a tree, don't you know you'd have kind of stepped back and stood back thinking lightning was going to hit it or something was going to happen? So you're kind of watching. Oh, my God, the boss just cursed that tree. Something's going to happen. And nothing happened. So he's walking on church. They had to run along and catch up with him. Like, I, don't know what, I don't know what that was about. But it's really neat because it said he answered it. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And then it says five of the most important words in the whole Bible. It says, and his disciples heard it. The Spanish Bible says, y sus discípulos lo oyeron. What does that mean, and his disciples heard? Why is that important, Terry? Because that tells us he said it out loud. He didn't mutter under his breath. He didn't pray a little silent prayer. He didn't say, oh, Father, kill that fig tree. No, no, he said it loud enough for them to hear it. So why, why is that important? Because he committed himself. Now something's got to happen to the tree, or he's exposed as a phony. If Peter and the staff, if they're working for him, and he's going to do something as weird as talk to a tree, and then nothing happened, What's going to happen to the Jesus Christ Evangelist Association? <laughs> They're going to leave him. I would. If he's going to be as weird, do something as weird as talking to a tree and nothing happens, I'd say, well, buddy, this is a waste of time. I think I'll go back to fishing. Now, I'm getting all this as a 16-year-old sitting there from God. And uh, he got to church. And things just got worse from there. He got to church and they've got money changer tables. And he had himself a fit. You know, you know this, this new breed of Christians today that says everything's love and grace. No, I'm God's favorite and God loves me. And oh, God doesn't do anything bad. No, God just, I'm his favorite. And blah, 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 blah. Which is stupid. You're not God's favorite. And uh, he made a whip. See, the church has always thought Jesus is just this little meek, mild-mannered, sissified. Texas would say panty-waist pussyfoot. I don't know what y'all say in California, but just this little sissified, weak little wimp. No, 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 no. He got in there and got ticked off again. Made him mad. That's his daddy's house. And he said, the word said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you've made it a den of thieves. And he made a whip and started beating people with it. Did y'all ever read Mark chapter 11? Well, I got an eyeful that day as a 16-year-old kid. Can you say lawsuit? Jesus is whipping people, hitting people <laughs> with a whip and running them out of church kicking over the tables, knocking them everywhere, money going everywhere, merchandise going everywhere. You know, when Renee came up with this idea, she wanted to do 
those tumblers back there, those glasses back there, Terry Miles Ministries. You want to do the, the T-shirts with my one-liners. You know, I say one-liners all over the world, and she likes them, and so she's making T-shirts. And I said, I, I'm not going to talk about them. I said, Jesus might walk in and just kick the table over. <laughs> I said, I'm not, I'm not sure he likes, I'm not sure Jesus likes that. And, and her, her little smart answer was, Nancy Dufresne does it. <laughs> I said, well, that's true. Nancy merchandises everything she can get her hands on, man. She got, she, every time she opens her mouth, they make a T-shirt out of it. So I said, well, that's between you and Nancy. Y'all deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that. But uh, he whipped the people, whipped them, whipped them, with the, whipped them with the whip and kicked over the table and ran them out of church. Now, think about Peter and the boys. They just saw him talk to a tree and nothing happened. And now he's running people out of church and hitting them with a whip. The boss is having a bad hair day. <laughs> and then he just straightens his collar and fixes his hair and invites everybody in. He preaches. Read Mark 11. He just invited them back in and preached. And then they walked home, back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. And walking past that fig tree that night, you know they were all staring at it and looking at it as they walked by to see what anything had. Nothing happened. He just walked on by it, so they followed him on. They got in bed there at their friend's house, and they probably said, hopefully tomorrow's a better day. Maybe the boss will be in a better mood tomorrow. But no, he gets up the next day and says, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's go to church. Great. Sure, boss. Let's do that. So here they go, walk back to Jerusalem, walk right past that fig tree. And Jesus didn't say a thing about it. He just walked past it. But Peter calling to his remembrance, saith, Master, that fig tree you cursed is withered away. Because they saw it had dried up from the roots and it was dead. And Jesus said, Claudel, duh, of course. When did Jesus think it was dead? When he spoke it yesterday. When did Peter think it was dead? When he saw it with his own eyes. But it was dead yesterday. You just couldn't tell it. It died yesterday. But now 24 hours later, you can tell it's dried up some. Amen. But Jesus knew it was dead yesterday. He never looked at it again, never paid attention to it again. And then Jesus said, well, of course, have faith in God. And I looked there in my margin. The Lord said to me, so look at the margin. I looked at the margin. It said, have the faith of God or have the God kind of faith or the God type of faith or the God class of faith. It went, I don't know what's going to happen in the sermon tonight. I, none of this was planned. I don't know how I got on this. I'm supposed to be doing spiritual authority. I guess this is spiritual authority. And I got up and just started going. So I hadn't prayed yet. I hadn't introduced Renee yet. I hadn't done anything. <clears throat> we may be here a long time. <laughs> but anyway, the next day they realize what's going on. So Jesus said, have faith in God. Have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith, the God class of faith, the God type of faith. And immediately in my own heart as a 16-year-old, I said, well, that tells me several things. I said it out loud, that tells me several things. It tells me that there is a God kind. I never knew that before. There are different kinds of faith. But this tells me there is a God kind. Yeah. And the second thing it tells me is that I can have it. 
because Jesus said, have the God kind. And I said, if Jesus said I can have it, that means I can have it. Because he wouldn't say, here, would you like to have this? Would you like to have this? Nope, can't have it. No, he would never do that. So when he says have it, that means you can get it. So I thought, I'm going to get on a quest and get it. If he said I can have it, if there is a God kind and he said I can have it, I'm going after it. Amen. So Friday night came around. Youth night. Man, I pulled up to church, and the place was packed, not only with all the kids from everywhere, but uh, a lot of the adults were there, including my mama was there for some reason, and, and pastor was there. Man, I had a packed house, and I thought, well, look here. And so we got up, and we did the song service, and we did the announcements and the offering, and I stood up to preach, and I guess what I preached on? I preached on, you can talk like God. And guess what my text was? Mark 11. And I went through that whole thing that I just went through with y'all. And his disciples heard it. He said it out loud. He committed himself. Faith always commits itself. Faith is always going to put itself out there so that if it fails, everybody will know you're a failure and God's a failure. Right? And at the end of the whole message, I'm sure it wasn't a very good message delivery-wise because I was just 16 years old and just starting to preach. But it was a marvelous message. Delivery might not have been too good, but the message was wonderful from heaven. And I, at the very, very end, I closed it by saying, now, from this day forward, I said, we're not going to say anything about our health, about our school, about our marriage, about our money, about our kids, about anything until we go to the Bible. And we still called it the Bible back then. We called it the Word today. Back then, we still called it the Bible. Mine still says Holy Bible on the cover, and I still believe it. And... Uh, and I said, we're not going to say anything about anything until we go to the Bible and find out what God said about it. And then we're going to say that. Yeah. And I ended my sermon. When I ended my sermon, Arturo, the crowd said in unison, blasphemy, crucify him. Boy, they did not like it at all. And I mean the pastor and the deacons and the elders and my mama they took me to the pastor's office and they chewed me up one side and down the other and how bad you are and shame on you and who do you think you are? How dare you say we can talk like God? And, and I sat there getting chewed on for a while and, and, and I just thought, well, I'm 16 and they're old folks. They probably know more than I do. You know, they've been doing this for years and years and years and years and I'm just getting started so I guess I blew it. So I apologized to them. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, Pastor, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to blaspheme against God. I didn't mean to say anything wrong. I, I, I thought God showed me something. I thought God told me that. No, God didn't tell you that. That's the worst thing we ever heard in our life. And so I repented to them, apologized to them. They all went home. I followed them out to the front door. I shut the door and locked it. I went back down to the altar and laid down in the floor. And I prayed all night. And I wept bitter tears all night. And said, Father, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I repent. I apologize. I didn't mean to blaspheme against you. I didn't mean to say anything wrong. I thought you showed me something. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And then a year and a half later, I turned 18. I went to Panama and lived in the, jung in the jungle with the... Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes and we lived wildcat style no catch no eat if I shot a monkey we ate monkey if I shot a parrot we ate parrot if I didn't shoot anything we didn't eat anything and I got deathly sick 
bad sick. And the missionaries told me I was going to get sick and probably die. And the church, my pastor told me I was going to get sick and probably die. And the church people told me I was going to get sick and probably die. And that's just my reasonable service. That's what God does to missionaries. And so when I got sick, I just said, well, there it is. They said, you'll be poor. You won't have any money. And sure enough, I didn't. And I'm laying out there in my hammock in the jungle dying. 18 years old. Thousands of miles from home. Loved God with all my heart. Been saved since I'm six, filled with the Holy Ghost, youth leader. Dying for Jesus. And, and the missionary walked up to me, and he had a furrowed brow, worried look on his face. He said, son, he said, I'm really concerned about you. He said, you've, uh, you've got yellow fever. He said, I've seen that down here lots of times. He said, thousands and thousands and thousands of people died in yellow fever building the Panama Canal. From the, from the mosquitoes and the malaria and all that kind of stuff. And he said, your eyes are yellow or jaundiced, your skin's yellow, jaundiced. And he said, you've got, you've got yellow fever. And he said, and besides that, you've got these sores all over your body, and I don't know what those are for. And I did, man. I had sores all over my body that ran pus and blood. Didn't know why. Still don't know why. And I mean, just sores everywhere. Everywhere. And if I ever got cut, I was out in the jungle cutting trees down and building a house, and if I ever got cut, you know, cut with something, you know, it just never healed. It it'd try to scab over and wouldn't heal. It'd just run pus and blood. And uh, I was a nasty-looking critter. And uh, I had dysentery for over three months. So uh, I'm skin and bone. I went down there weighing 186 pounds, and by the time I got back home, which I'd already gained some weight back by then because God healed me, uh, I weighed 132 when I got back to the next pair of scales. Uh, but I don't know how much I got down to. My eyes were sunk back in my head. My jaws were sunk in like this. You know, I had those sores all over my body. I had my pants tied up with a rope, you know, because I, I, I mean, I was, and, uh, and I'm laying there in that hammock, and he said, you got those sores all over your body running pus and blood, and he said, that can't be good. I don't know what it is. That can't be good. And he said, uh, you desperately need a doctor. He said, but we can't get you to a doctor. You're too weak. He said, to get you to a doctor, we'd have to put you in a canoe for seven hours uh, to get up river to the first village to where we could get you across another river to another village to where there's the first road where we could put you into an old beat-up panel truck and take you 50 miles into the first town where there's the first doctor. And he said, you're too weak to make the trip. So he's giving me a death sentence, what he's doing. And he said, uh, he said but that's not even your problem. He said, your problem is worse than that. He said, your problem is because you've got dysentery, you can't keep anything on your stomach, and if you, even if you take a drink of water, you throw up. Uh, he said, uh, you're not drinking anything, and you're not eating anything. And he said, you can't live like that. And I looked up at him, and I, and, and, and I, I sat about halfway up in my hammock, all the strength I had, just kind of set me up. And I said, I've got yellow fever. And he said, well, yeah, son, you've got yellow fever, but like I said, that's not, that's not the half of it. That's not even the problem. I said, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but I, but, but I got yellow fever. He said, yeah. See, what I was trying to do, Peter, is I was trying to get a name. I wanted something that had a tangible name to it. And he said, well, yeah, you got yellow fever. And I said, well, that's just a disease. He said, well, yeah, it's a disease. And I said, well, I can fix that. I said, disease I can fix. And I said, the Bible says lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus 
and they shall recover. And I took my hands like this, and I said, here's the hands. And I put them on me, and I said, here's the sick. And I said, in Jesus' name, I shall recover. Now, I didn't have an instant miracle, but I began to get better from that point. And the next day, I took a little water and didn't throw it up. And the next day, I took a little water and a little rice and didn't throw it up. The next day, I took a little more rice, a little more water. Didn't th and I began to get better. And uh, by the time it came time for me to go back to America, my, my visa had run out. Now I've got to go back and then come back, uh, renew my papers, then come back. Uh, I flew back into West Texas in the Midland, and, and my fiance Jackie, Jackie's in heaven today, but she picked me up at the airport, and she didn't know she wanted to marry me or not, and I didn't blame her. I was a nasty-looking critter. Man, I was skin and bones. My jaw sunk in, my eyes sunk back in my head. I had those sores all over my body. I'm surprised America let me. I don't think that America lets you in the country like that now. I mean, unless you're an illegal coming across. They'd let anybody in. <laughs> I was nasty looking. If you, if, you, if you touched any of those places, if they got any pressure on them, they'd begin to ooze pus and blood. And... Uh, she looked at me and she said, my God, I sent a man down there and brought a boy back. Because I was just emaciated. But it was Wednesday. So you go to church on Wednesday night. And uh, so we went to church. And I'm sitting there about, about, about where you are, about three rows back. I'm sitting on the end seat and Jackie's sitting next to me. And, and uh, pastor says, oh, look here. Brother Terry Myers is back from the jungles of Panama. Praise the Lord. Said he went to Panama as a missionary. He about died for Jesus. Let's just give him a hand. You know, and they're all clapping. And I'm sitting there, you know, and a little bit, I, I, I crossed my leg like that. And when I did, the pressure of my trousers put on one of those sores, it, it ran through my pants. And it's embarrassing, you know, it's the big old spot of blood. And so I got up, went to the bathroom, and cleaned it up, and cleaned me up. And uh, I came back, and they finished church, you know, and people came up and patted me. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, you did good, blah, 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 blah. And Jackie and I went out that night, and I said, you know, darling, pastor says I did good. The missionaries said I did good. The church says I did good. But I don't think I did good. I don't feel like I did good. I said, if I hadn't been so sick, I could have helped a lot more people. I said, I helped a lot of people, but then I got sick where I couldn't. One day I was so sick, but I thought, God, I've got to witness to these Indians. I've got to get to the tribe. And so we had a horse, and so I got down out of the, out of the hut, you know, and we had built this hut, and I climbed down out of it because they're up on stilts. And uh, I got over to the horse, and I got the saddle, and I took all my strength just to throw the saddle up on his back, you know. And, and I'm a Texan. I've been saddling horses all my life, you know. No, and I'm, I'm weak as water. And so I grabbed the scent strap, you know, under his belly and pulled it through. And, and pulling that scent strap tight, David, I fainted. I passed out. I've never fainted before since in my life. But just putting that pressure of pulling that tight, I just, and I woke up. I don't know how much later it was that I woke up, and I'm laying on the ground like this, and the horse got his nose in my face like that, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I got up and got the saddle off his back and let him go back and pin. And I crawled back up into to the house and into my hammock. And I mean, and I said, you know, if I hadn't been so sick, I could have helped some more folks. I could have done better. I said, and if I'd had some money, I could have done better. Could have bought some stuff that was needed. And I said uh, to her, I said, you know, you remember about a year and a half ago when, when I thought God gave me a message? 
and I got up and preached you can talk like God and how mad it made everybody. She said, oh, my Lord, yes, I remember. Because her, 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 her aunt and uncle was our pastor, so she knew. She, she caught all kind of flack for it. So she oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, sure. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not so sure I was wrong. I'm not so sure they were right. I, I'm not so sure God didn't tell me something. And she said, you're not going to start that again, are you? And I said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out what God said. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm only going to be here two weeks. And turn right around and go back. And I said, so in this two weeks, I'm going to find out. And she said, how are you going to do that? And I said, tomorrow I'm locking myself up in a room, and I'm not coming out of that room. If it takes the whole two weeks, I'm not coming out of the room until I hear from God and I know what's right. And when I hear from God, I'll know what to do, and I'll know how to do it. And I said, if it takes one day or if it takes the whole two weeks, I'm not coming out of that room. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to visit with anybody. So don't, don't call me. Don't bother me. I'll, I'll let you know if I hear from God. Or when I hear from God, I'll let you know. So she, okay. So that next day, I went into my, to a room, and I locked the door. And I walked straight over to a table and chair and sat down. And I said, Father, you're going to have to talk to me. And when I did, he said in a not too pleasant tone of voice, he said, I've been waiting for you to ask. And he said, turn in your Bible to Romans 12 too. Well, I didn't even turn. I just quoted it for him. I knew what that said, and I quoted it for him. That uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may choose what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that didn't impress him that I could quote it. He said, I said turn to it. I said, yes, sir. I turned over there. Held it up to him and read it to him. I said, see there, it says just what I said it said. What's your point? And he said, he said my point is that you're going to have to change your thinking. I said, what? There's nothing wrong with my thinking. David, I was the good little kid. I got saved when I was six. I've been in church all my life. I'm the youth leader. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I've been to the mission field. I'm not in sin. I'm not... My thinking, there's nothing wrong with my thinking. The Lord said, oh, yes, there is. You've got stinking thinking. Now, since then, I've heard a lot of preachers write books about that and talk about it, but I guess God said it to a bunch of us, but he sure said it to me that day. And he said, no, you've got stinking thinking. I said, I do not have stinking thinking. I said, I think just like the church. Huh. And the Lord said to me, that's exactly right. You think just like the church, and the church has stinking thinking, and you better change your thinking and start quit thinking like the church and start thinking like me. And that was one of those things that when he said it, the instant he said it, I didn't have to think about it. I knew it was truth. It was one of those aha, epiphany moments that, that's the truth. I need to think like God. And I said, Lord, I'm going to have to go back and read the whole Bible and go back and read it through your eyes instead of the church's eyes. Because I knew what the church thought about the Bible. Now I've been in church all my life. They had contests in Sunday school. I won them. They had scripture reading contests. I won them. They had Bible drill contests. Who can find the scripture? I won them. I loved the Bible. I knew what the church believed about any scripture. You could ask me anything. I think just exactly what the church said about it. But God didn't care what the church said about it. And so... That was a revelation. And he gave me five scriptures, David, five, that totally revolutionized my life 
that I started preaching that week and have preached ever since, hadn't quit since, and never will quit. And, and, and it's today what we would all now call the crux or the foundation of the Word of Faith message. Nobody called it Word of Faith back then, but that's what, that's what, that's what it turned into is, is, the, is the foundation for the Word of Faith message that we all know and love and preach. And, uh, and so uh, he said, uh, turn over to Joshua chapter 1. He said, I told Joshua to do three things. And then if he would do those three things, he would prosper and be successful. And he said, and if you'll do those three things, you'll prosper and be successful. And anybody else that'll do those three things, they'll be prosperous and be successful. Well, I've never heard anybody in all my years of church, I've never heard anybody use the term prosperous or successful for a Christian or for a missionary, ever. And so I turned over there, Joshua 1.8. And God said, I told Joshua to do three things. Talk like God, act like God, and think like God. So I read it. Let not this book of the law depart from out of your mouth. Talk like God. That thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Think like God. And that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Act like God. Be a doer of the word. James said, be a doer of the word way over here at the end of the New Testament. Joshua said, be a doer of the word way over here at the front of the Old Testament. And then thou shalt have, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I had never heard that before in my life. Don't let anything come out of your mouth but the word. Meditate the word day and night. Act on the word. Do the word. And then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. And I literally said this to the Lord. I said out loud. I said, I said, Father, can it really be that simple? And he said, yes, simple, yes, easy, no. I said, what? He said, simple, yes, it's just that simple. Easy, no. He said, you're going to have to retrain your mouth, retrain your head. You're going to have to retrain everything you think, everything you say. And that's not easy. But it's just that simple. And he said, go to Jeremiah 1.12. I went over Jeremiah 1.12. I hasten my word. I watch over my word to perform it. See, all these five scriptures, everyone that he gave me, were about his word and what he thought about his word. None of them were about me. They were all about his word and, and what he thought about his word. You say my word, you think my word, you do my word, and you'll prosper. Right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't think like the world, think like God. Renew your mind to the word. I watch over my word to perform it. You know, heaven's watching over the whole earth all the time, 24 hours a day. Just watching to see and to hear if some man, some woman, some boy, some girl, somewhere is going to speak the word. Or say the word. Because if they do, then heaven's going to move. So they're always watching. They're always listening constantly. To see if somebody's going to say the word or do the word. I watch over my word to perform it. They're watching all the time if somebody's saying the word. If somebody's doing the word. He said Psalms 138 verse 2. I went over and looked that up. And Moses said, Father, you've exalted your word even higher than your name. God said, I'd have to deny my name if I broke my word. My word, I put my word higher than my name. I thought, man, he really believes in his word. Amen? Amen. 
And then the last one he gave me was, was uh, and these are familiar for all y'all. Y'all know them front ones, backwards and sideways. But back in 1968, we didn't know these. And he said, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Right? Boy, in those early days, I would get in a, a pickle and trouble about something. I'd just grab the Bible and I'd say, I am not letting this depart from my eyes. I am not looking at the problem. I'm not looking at the mountain. I'm not looking at the giant. I'm looking at the word. And then every now and then I'd just do like this. I'd, I'd be reading the Bible and I'd just say, incline your ear to it, Terry. Incline your ear to it. Get your ear in the word. Get your ear in the word. He said, let them not depart from your eyes. Guard them in the midst of your heart. Then verse 22, he tells you why he said all that. He says, for they, they what? They the words and sayings of God. For they are life, L-I-F-E. They are life to those that find them and health or medicine to A-W-L all your flesh. And then he said this to me, and it was another one of those aha epiphany moments at Vince, and he said, I knew this is truth. He said, your mama and your pastor and those folks you go to church with, he said, they love me. They're born again. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, but they haven't found my word. He said, they haven't found it in, they, they know some word. He said, but they haven't found it in every area of their lives. And the instant he said that, I thought, that's true. I knew that was absolute truth. I knew they knew the word. Most of the words they knew was the thou shalt nots. They knew those really well. But I knew there's things they did not know about the word because I'd read some stuff and heard them preach. And I said, eh, that's not what the Bible says. And uh, I walked out of that room, called Jackie on the phone. I said, I got it. I got it. I got my answer. She said, boy, that didn't take long. I said, no, it didn't. It didn't take God long to chew me out and show me what to do. <laughs> and I said, but I've got it. I said, come on over and pick me up. We'll go to lunch. And uh, she came over, and, and I, said, I said, I've got my answer. I said, I know exactly what to do. I said, uh, I, said I know how I'm going to live the rest of my life. And I said, if you marry me, I know how you're going to live the rest of your life. And I said, we're going to live by faith. We're going to live in the Word of God. I said, we're not ever going to be sick. We're not going to be sick again, not ever. I, I about died in Panama with sickness. That'll never happen again. I said, we're not going to be poor. I said, every missionary they say is supposed to be poor. Oh, I had told her before I ever went in the room. I said, it doesn't make sense to me that God kills his missionaries. Yeah. I said, you know, God works and works and works and tries to get somebody to be a missionary. And finally some girl or some guy said, I'll go. Send me. And then God kills them. I said, that makes no sense. That's not good military strategy. No, no general kills his troops. That, that's, that's, that's insane. But yet that's what the church teaches. And I said, I just don't think that's true. So I told her, I said, God's not going to kill us. And, and we're not, I said, God's not going to kill us and we're not going to let the devil do it. Amen. And we had been kind of arguing about our, our marriage coming up because she kept telling me, she said, now Terry, I need, to, I need to go down and pick out my china pattern. And I said, Jackie, we're missionaries. Missionaries go to China. They don't have China. <laughs> Missionaries are poor. We're not going to have China. And that day I said, and by the way, I said, you can pick out all the China you want. You can have one pattern, two pattern, ten patterns. I don't care. God will pay for it. Uh, it's, it's a God, God, God is not poor. 
God has lots of money and he shares with us. And I mean, from that day to this, I mean, that's 55 years. I think I've proven in 55 years that God knew what he was talking about. Yeah. I don't know how I got on that tonight. That'd be a whole sermon. We could just quit now and go home, but I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> that's a really good word, though. It, is. it changed my life forever. Oh, yeah, well, I go through those rivers. And you know, those rivers in Panama had crocodiles in them, not just alligators. Alligators aren't people e eaters. Alligators are a nuisance, you know. I've killed a bunch of them, but uh, eaten a bunch of them. Boy, they stink. <laughs> but crocodiles are man eaters. And uh, we'd go through those rivers at night, and I'd hear a big old splash over there, you know, and I'd think, dear God, you know, don't know if that was a fish or an a crocodile or a snake. I don't know what it is. But, but we, we'd go in there, me and the other missionary that I was down there with, we'd go in the river and come out the other side, going to preach to some Indian tribe before I got so sick. And uh, I'd come out with not one bug on me, not one leech on me, and the missionary would be so covered with leeches that the tribe would have to get him down on the ground, take their hunting knife, and scrape his body and scrape the leeches off him. I never got one. Simply because I went over to Psalms 91 and said, Father, you said there'd be no annoying pestilence. I said, That's an, that is an annoying pest. Amen. Amen. That'll work on mosquitoes. Yeah. That'll work on any pest. Right. Psalms 91 says there'll be no noisome pestilence. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. In fact, it says that twice in Psalms 91. I think that's interesting. It'd bring it, it'd bring it back up twice. You going to come up and share something? I don't even know where I'm going or what I'm doing. <laughs> I came up here with this check. Take this check and give it to those girls. And... Uh, if you're going to come up here and do something, well, come ahead. Praise the Lord. Isn't it cool the things God puts in the Bible, though? I mean, who, who would have thought, who would have thought he had to put something in there about a noisome pest, and then, then I could walk into a river with another missionary friend of mine, and he'd come out covered with leeches, and I'd never have one, not one, never did have one ever. Amen. I just think God's cool. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I brought merchandise. You and Nancy. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, but, you know, the, the, the main thing is that everything that we are doing, uh, can you take this? Sure. Uh, I'm just here to serve you. <laughs> is, um, is to help people preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. E everything that we have is to preach uh, the gospel, give people hope. You can wear a T-shirt in the, in the grocery store and somebody read the back of it <laughs> and ask you what it means, you know, um, and, and just be able to minister to people and have those tools there. And then you always have a book. I carry those many books in my purse. We keep them in the car because we never know when we're going to need to share them with somebody. They're just tools. Everybody say they're just tools. They're just tools. They're just tools. And we give away probably more than we <laughs> would ever have sold. But the idea is to, is to give the body of Christ the things that they need to minister the gospel. Now, um, these tumblers are great. You know, they're just convenient. I love this T-shirt because, you know, it says uh, God still uses available mud. I guess I've heard Terry say that for 50 years. And, uh, you know, somebody, you wear that in the, in the grocery store and somebody says, what does that mean? Oh, it just means God can use anybody like me, like you, you know? And that our lives are valuable. 
It, taught, it brings value to who we are. You know, uh, we did come from the dirt. We'll go back to the dirt. You know, these bodies will. But in the meantime, God can use the dirt, yeah. you know. And that's what's so wonderful about it. We've given lots of these uh, to youth groups, you know, and people that, that kids love T-shirts. And so we just want to make those available to them. Um, I wanted to say something tonight here about um, my book. It's, it, this is the third printing of the book that uh, God gave me when we were, I had the, an open door to minister to about 300 or more Catholic uh, people, brand new hungry people for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of denominations don't put the emphasis on what Terry's talking about here tonight is the word of God. Those five scriptures are God's opinion about his word, Amen. you know? And we can't make this religious. If you're going to learn spiritual authority, uh, it's a God-given gift. Uh, you know, God's, God in Genesis 1.26 said, I'm giving you dominion. Yes, yes. And, the, and then Hosea 14.2 says, when you go before the Lord, take with you words. Take words. Well, the most obvious words you would take before the Lord would be his words. Isn't that right? Yes. And then, then God has told you to go with the, you know, use the word of God as a tool. Uh, as a Pentecostal, I, I grew up and nobody told me to use, I went to Pentecostal Bible College for three years, paid my way through school, took 15-hour semesters, worked 40 hours a week to support myself as a young girl, and nobody told me to pray the word. There was a lot of tradition, a lot of opinion, a lot of rules and regulations. Man, during the Vietnam War when there were miniskirts, mine were all below my knee. <laughs> I stood out in the crowd uh, and, and, they, and they told me that was how Jesus wanted me to look. Well, I'm sure somewhere between that and the middle was right, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just was amazed at, at the, the power that was not taught in the word of God. When we have been told by God himself, take dominion, and then we go major on something else. <laughs> and we get taught religion, we get taught opinion, and we do not get taught uh, how to take authority, how to walk in dominion. So I found out that learning the word of God and learning how to pray the word of God, uh, when, when I got a wonderful woman of God, Kenneth Copeland hired her and paid her a thousand dollars a month to pray for him because she learned it and got a revelation of how to pray the word of God. Yep. And yep. that lady taught me yep. and Terry Pearson's. And I traveled <coughs> with her for about ten days and led the praise and worship for her. And she taught me how to pray the word of God and how to take dominion. Nobody had ever taught me that. And uh, you know, you have to get into the word of God to know how to pray the word <laughs> and how to use it. And Brother Scott, the very first scripture that she taught me how to work, how to pray, she said, you pray Psalm 1 over your husband. And I, and I said, well, okay. And, and so uh, she said, you take, blessed is the man that, Dean Garner is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does Dean Garner stand in the way of sinners, nor does Dean Garner sit in the seat of the scornful, but Dean Garner's delight is in the law of the Lord, yes, and in that yes, law does yes, he meditate, yes, yes. ponder, and study 
His leaves shall not wither or fade, and everything Dean Garner does shall prosper and come to full maturity. Well, I started taking authority like that and praying the word of God like that, and it became a learned behavior. Everybody say spiritual authority is a learned behavior. Spiritual authority is a learned behavior. You know, if, if you've been out fighting devils all day, and you've been taking authority in prayer all day, and you've been exercising spiritual authority every day in prayer, I take authority over every plot and scheme of the devil. You're praying over your children, your grandchildren. You're praying over the building where you work. You're praying over the church and the pastors. You've got pictures and, and all kinds of things laid out there and newsletters and things from missionaries. And you've been in prayer every day. You learn to fight real hard in prayer. Yeah, yeah. But if you don't start in prayer doing that, you're not going to be able to take spiritual authority in a McDonald's when a shooter comes in there. I mean, you have to imagine worst case scenario and, I, and ask yourself, am I ready? Some man walks up to you, tries to, I, I saw a video of a man just walking down the street and, and he would get up to two women walking together and he'd try to get in between them and hit them both in the stomach. Knock one elderly lady out on the ground. There are crazy people out there that want to do evil, despicable things to us and yet we come in church and, want, you know, and, and we praise and worship God and we're all happy but you're out, you're out there every day with very wicked people. I treat everybody like, you know, could be a potential serial killer, <laughs> rapist, <laughs> child trafficker. I'm walking through the grocery store, Walmart, and I'm saying, ah, oh, baby, you bad, you know? <laughs> and, I'm, and, and I'm just, I'm listening to the Holy Ghost yeah. because I don't know where I'm going to need to walk. Now, I believe my steps are ordered of the Lord. Yeah. I believe my life is redeemed from destruction. I confess over my body every single day that my life is a light and it cannot be hidden and demons run from me because I'm a city set on a hill and I cannot be hidden. There's a light when I walk in the door. But I cannot trust in my flesh and how cute we may think we are. <laughs> you know, I have to count on the fact that greater is he that's in me and there will be no plot or scheme of the enemy that will prosper in my presence. But if you don't learn that kind of behavior, I mean, I, was, I, I looked up the scriptures tonight about David, how he danced before the Lord and, and, and his wife didn't think it looked dignified. And she got cursed because of that. I mean, you gotta pray ugly. <laughs> You've gotta pray wild, like wild people. I mean, you cannot act like, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray to the Lord my soul to take. I ain't dying tonight, devil. That's my, that's my statement. If you don't, if you don't get fierce and act, realize we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, I want to tell you about this, but I don't care. High class Christianity. We got to live higher. We got to be meaner. We got to take authority over hell. When Israel went out to fight the enemy, God said, you send the praisers and worshipers out there. They didn't look dignified like you do sitting out here. Those praisers and worshipers were supposed to get out there and intimidate the enemy's army, singing 
The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And they were out there with tambourines and with trumpets and with every kind of thing they could make noise with. And they were going to see the eyes of the enemy first. And if the enemy wouldn't take a pot shot at them, they could. To be on the praise and worship team in the Old Testament, you better be fearless. You were supposed to intimidate the enemy with your praise and worship and put courage into the army behind you. And I'm telling you, that's what we need to turn into are the kind of people that when we just show up, hell just acts like, oh, my God. Amen, amen, amen. I can't, you know, these people look fierce. And 1 Chronicles 12 over there with David, those men that came down and, and, and met with David, uh, it's just, it's a higher class lifestyle. And those men had faces, it says in verse 8, second, 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it says they had faces like the faces of love. Yeah. I mean, I love, I, I love all the things that, that I, you know, that I see, uh, you know, women, uh, you know, I love all the things that, that help us look our best, you know. And, and I love health. Uh, that product you were talking about on, on, on one of your things, I ordered. <laughs> and uh, I love all of those things. I love the goodness of God towards us in our generation. I'm so glad I wasn't a woman born 100 years ago or 50 years ago. It's so much better now. You were born 50 women. years ago. Huh? You were born. <laughs> uh, you were born more than I 50 was years ago. Born 100 years ago. That's what I Yeah, you need to move your move your timeline. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad. I'm glad I was born after indoor plumbing. <laughs> I, I tell Terry all the time, hey, it's a good day, indoor plumbing, clean linens and a bar of soap. We're good. <laughs> you know, that's a good day to me. And uh, I'm just I'm just so thankful or the way we can be blessed in this day and time. And high-class Christianity, I taught those Catholics because they, they had not been taught to get into the Word of God. And I got over into Isaiah 55 and said, God said, my words are higher than your word, ways, words. And he says, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. So that's why we need to get into the Word of God, because God thinks real high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we think real low. We think real uh, complacent and passive, and that's why so much of the things that we're dealing with right now in the world is we've had a very passive church. We've had a church that's been more concerned, Pastor, you know? I mean, we've been more concerned about how we conducted the services and that we didn't yeah. offend anybody, yeah. Yeah. and that we yeah. didn't, uh, you know, we wanted to help people, but we didn't want to go sometimes. Uh, there's There's been some cowards in the pulpit, right. and there's been some cowards in, ho in home leadership, and uh, male and female, and uh, we've got to be the people of God that are fierce, that we are take no prisoners, that we pray prayers where we don't quit, and that we bind and loose hell, we bind hell, we loose the power of God, and we've got to learn this by exercising spiritual authority. Amen. The Amen. first message I ever heard Terry preach that was so profound in my life was, who in hell are you? <laughs> One of the ladies in my church got so excited about it, she said, I just love that message Brother Terry preached. Who in the hell are you? <laughs> Who in the hell are you? She said. 
I said, that was not the one he preached. That was not the one he preached. But we got it. We got it. That you have to make headlines in hell. How many of you want your prayers answered? How many of you want to tick hell off doing it? How many of you want to know how to not be intimidated by hell? You can't exercise spiritual authority and have fear. You've got to go in there and just finally bludgeon hell with prayer and the name of Jesus and the power of God. Amen. So I want to encourage you to take take these things. All of these, I, we, we just brought stuff to help. That's all we want to do is just be a blessing to you in a way. But yet on the other hand, you cannot be the same people we've been Praise before God. COVID. We have to be a whole different church after COVID. Amen. We cannot ever be those people again. We have to be the men that have faces like the faces of lions. Yeah, I'm going to wear makeup. Yeah, I'm going to wear earrings. I'm going to look good. But I'm telling you, on the other hand, I don't give a rip in the natural if I'm not getting my prayers answered and I'm not intimidating hell. And I'm telling you, hell needs to know your name. Hell needs to know they better not mess with you. Hell needs to know they need to, they need to uh, walk softly around your house. Oh, Brother Osteen used to give the example. He said, demons try to come to our house. There fly little demons around the neighborhood. They're trying to find a house to go to. Brother Osteen said they tell each other, oh, don't go down to that Osteen house. They'll beat the living daylights out of you. Don't go to that house. Leave those people alone. You go down here to this house, but don't ever go to the Osteen house. They'll beat the living daylights out of you. See, that's what you want hell to think about you. Isn't that right? Yeah. Hallelujah. My brother died today. And uh, I have had to deal with my family and uh, some broken hearts and all the things that are, that are happening. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Let me have this up here, too. Uh, you know, and I have had to uh, deal with all the loss of all of that. He was only 65 years old. He had been ill for a very long time. And I want to tell you, I came in here tonight like a wild woman. I was yelling down here in prayer. Tammy and I, we, we, were, we were doing something in the spirit. I don't know what we were doing. I just say the statement all the time, Tammy. I don't know what happens, but every time I pray, something happens. And you ought to be intimidating hell with this. You just... You mess with my family. You mess with my kids. You do so. You're not going to be really sorry. Yes. And I'm saving in Jesus now. Yes. You know, heaven's not far away. We're we're going to win this thing, and we're going to get out of here, a glorious church, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, and we're going to take a harvest of souls with us. And we cannot be fearsome. We cannot be lazy. We cannot be strange and eccentric in our attitude towards people. We've got to love people. We've got to help them. We've got to bring them out of, out, of, out of the low class lifestyle up into high class living and the things of God. God bless you all tonight. And we're just here to wash your feet with the word of God and love you and let you know that, uh, that you don't have to be concerned about what, what the enemy's plots and schemes are. Amen. Terry referred to Psalm 91. You ought to get that out tonight and read it out loud. Yell it to hell before you go to bed tonight and say, I, I dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, I mean, you take that whole thing. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, 
my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. I mean, you begin to take those things and, and just begin to say those things that are in there. Those, those first two verses are your part, and the whole rest of the psalm is God's part. That's right. If you'll do those first two verses, you can, you'll see what God says he'll do in the whole rest of the chapter. Amen. Amen. Take this with you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Stand up with me, if you would, please. Pastor Arturo Escobedo, it's good to see you tonight. We go back a long, long, long way. I've preached for you and preached for your brother Richard down in L.A., down in Compton area. And, and uh, <clears throat> it was, uh, Renee and I did a funeral for a precious saint in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, a couple months ago. And we met a young lady from, uh, who, who, who's in now, now a pastor. She's from Corpus, but a, a pastor's wife in uh, Bakersfield. And so uh, I just felt led to give her some money, so I gave her some money. And then uh, we got a call from your wife, from Peggy, and from this young lady, from Cindy, who's in Bakersfield. And they both, I don't know where you were, what you were doing, they both called and said, would y'all come to Bakersfield and to, and to Visalia and, and minister for uh, both those churches? I said, well, sure, 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 sure. So we go back a long way. Good, good to see you. Y'all ready to go to church? Yes. Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for spiritual authority. Thank you for dominion. Thank you, Father, that you said the power of life and death is in the tongue. We can speak death to cancer, death to leukemia, death to lupus, death to AIDS, death to COVID, death to every disease and infection and fever and virus in the name of Jesus. And we can speak life the Zoe life of God to the people of God that they'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Thank you, Father. Minister to us tonight by your Spirit. Give us revelation, knowledge, and understanding. And we thank you for it. We give you glory, honor, praise, majesty, dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated. And I won't keep you long because it's already been long and I've already preached. But I do want to say some things about spiritual authority. And uh, praise the Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. I was preaching for Fred Price, my dear friend Fred Price, down in L.A. at the Faith Dome, Crenshaw Christian Center. Preached for him every year for, I don't know, 25 years or so. And then was asked by the family to preach his funeral as well. Good friend of mine, dear friend. And I was preaching to him one day, my wife and I. Uh, were preaching for him, did a four-day meeting, I think it was, and then we, we finished up. And so the next day, I was starting a meeting. Uh, the, the next day was a Sunday. We finished with Fred on a, on a Friday night, and then uh, we were going to have Saturday to move hotels and then start on Sunday for another pastor uh, across town. And so uh, the pastor and his armor bearer, his driver, came to pick us up on Saturday, and so... Uh, we got down and got our luggage in his car, and, and we got in the back seat. And, and the pastor just turned right around and looked at me, and he said, Terry, I've been waiting for months for you to get here to ask you some questions. And I said, well, okay. I said, I may not know the answers, but I know who does. We'll, we'll figure it out. What's your question? And he said, well, he said, about a, about a half year ago or so, he said, I was uh, at, a, at a basketball game and uh, watching uh, – kids play basketball and he said one of these young men on the basketball team was raised in my church and said I was just watching the game and said all of a sudden this young man just fell on the floor dead 
And he said, I jumped up in the bleachers and I ran out there and prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And they brought the, the EMTs and the gurney and they carried him away. And, and so I went to the hospital, you know, and I went in the room and I prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him and nothing happened. And they told me I had to leave and I left and I had to preach his funeral. And he said, Here, here's my question. He said, uh, and the reason I waited for you, he said, I know lots of people have raised people from the dead, but he said, I don't know anybody but you, and I know you've raised a number of people from the dead, and you're the only one I personally know, so I want to ask you. And I said, well, I'll try to answer it for you. I'll try to help you. And he said, he said here's my question. Why couldn't I raise him from the dead? And I said, well, Pastor, I said, uh, I didn't know the young man, so I don't know what his life was like, what his spiritual life was like. I don't know if he's in sin or not. I said, I don't know what his, where his faith was. I don't know if he's confessing or right or believing right or doing right. I have no idea. And I said, and I don't know his parents. So I don't know what they were confessing, believing, praying, doing, living. I, don't, I, I, said, so I, I said, I don't know a specific answer to your question, but I do know why you couldn't raise him from the dead. He said, well, that's what I want to know. Why couldn't I raise him from the dead? And I said, well, well, that, that simple two words. He said, what? I said, spiritual authority. He said, spiritual authority? What in the world does that mean? I said, it means you didn't have it. And he said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, sometimes you have spiritual authority and sometimes you don't. And you need to always know when you do. And you need to always know when you don't. And you need to evaluate every situation because there are times that you don't have it, but you can get it. And then there's other times that you don't have it and you can't get it. You might as well go to the house. He said, dear God, Terry, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. He said, would you preach on that at my church in the morning? I said, no, sir. He said, well, why not? I said, well, because you're too successful. He said, what does that mean? I said, you've got three services in the morning. You've already told me I have 20 minutes to preach in each one of them. And I said, I understand that. I'm not upset that you're successful. I'm glad you're successful. But I said, you're giving me 20 minutes to preach because we've got to get that first crowd out and get the parking lot clear and get the next crowd in and then get that crowd out and get the parking lot clear and then get the third crowd in. And I said, there's not any way in the world I could preach on spiritual authority in 20 minutes. I said, I said now if you want me to come back and do a three-day, four-day, five-day, ten-day seminar on spiritual authority. I'd just be thrilled. And I said, because when you preach on something, then you learn stuff. The Holy Ghost is preaching, and he gives you revelation knowledge. I said, I'd learn stuff myself. I'd love to come back and do a seminar. And so from that point on, I've been doing lots of spiritual authority seminars for years and years and years now uh, around this. I used to, I just preached on it overseas as a missionary. I just preached it to pastors overseas, and I just figured Americans probably knew that stuff. But I found out they don't. But, you know, there, there are times, as I said to you last night, you inherently have spiritual authority in some areas. Right. You know, when your kids are born, they're your kids. They're not Joe Biden's kids. They're not Hollywood's kids. They're not Washington, D.C.'s kids. They're not the school's kids. They're your kids. Nobody has that authority over them but you. you don't you let somebody else take authority over your kids. That's right. Amen? That's your authority. You have authority over your body. Yeah. I told you last night when I hung my finger... You know, when I got that my ring caught and cut all the end of the bone and the skin all up here, and, and the doctor said, I'm, I'm going to snip that off, you're going to lose that pound. Oh, no, you're not. I said, I came to hire you as a professional to do a job. I'm the boss. You work for me. I'm paying you. 
All I want you to do is two things. I want you to cut my ring off, and I want you to sew my finger on. That's it. Don't do anything else. Because if I would just given him authority, spiritual authority, and said, hey, doc, just do whatever you think is best. Well, then he'd have reached over there and got his snippers and clipped it off and sewed it up, and, and you know, and, and I, I wouldn't mean anything to him. Not that he's a bad guy. It's just that's what he's trained to do. But it's my finger. It's not his finger. Amen? Amen. That's my finger. Now, I'm not going to have somebody come along and say, hey, your finger belongs to me. No, it doesn't. It belongs to me. <laughs> my wife, I have authority. Her husband, she has authority. Right? Our house, we have authority. Our car, we have authority. Our body, we have authority. Our money, we have authority. I don't have authority over your money. But I have authority over mine. Amen. So there are things you inherently have authority in. You don't even have to think about it. You just know you have the authority. Then there's other things that's kind of questionable. You say, eh, do I have authority or not? And you have to kind of stop. And then sometimes you look at it and you say, you know, I, I don't have authority there, but you know what? I think I can get it. And so you go take it. And there's other times you look at it and say, eh, I don't have it and I can't get it. So there's no sense of me hanging around. I mean, you know, if an airliner crashed out here and killed 300 people and just burned it out here in the middle of the field, I wouldn't go out there and say, well, i got authority over those 300 people. I'm going to march in there and raise them all up. I know I can't do that. Right? I just look at that and say, well, I can't help. But sometimes you can. So you decide, do I have authority? Don't I have authority? If I don't have authority, can I get it? If I don't have authority and I can't get it, then I'm wasting my time. I might as well go to the house and watch the gun smoke. Right? So we have to decide when we do and when we don't. And if we don't, can we get it? And if we can't, then we need to know that. And so there's lots of things in my life. Most every miracle I ever tell you in my life is all comes down to spiritual authority that, that I either had it or I didn't have it, but I, but I got it. Amen. You know, I was down in the jungles of Guatemala many years ago, and uh, uh, a missionary down there, he's in heaven today, his wife's still there in the jungles of Guatemala, and a missionary that I love dearly, and, and uh, he did a good work. And so he had a, a ham radio with him. No, no, no other communication but ham radio. And ham radio is like a CB. Some of you all understand that. But, it, but it's got a higher band length, and you can actually talk to whoever you want to, <laughs> whenever you want to, as opposed to a CB radio. You just get on and say, you know, is anybody out there? And somebody may or may not hear you. Where a, where a a ham, you actually tune in stations like a radio station and talk to people specifically. And so, and they call them nets. There's there'll be, maybe a net of all doctors, maybe a net of all uh, people that, you know, professionals of this, that, that, or the other, or sportsmen or hobbyists or whatever. And they talk to the same people all the time. They've got, they've got their own net. Well, this guy, because, because, because the people treat missionaries and always have, like doctors, I told you last night, I said people have treated me like a doctor around the world. First, first baby I ever delivered in my life. I was 18 years old in the jungles of Panama. I didn't know where babies came from. And they came and got me and said, you got to deliver this baby. I said, no, I don't. And they said, yes, you do. You're the missionary. So I went down there and delivered a baby. And uh, they just treat you like a doctor. And so this missionary had been living there, and these people, the tribes would come in, and, and, and they'd treat him like a doctor. They'd come to him and say, and he wasn't a doctor. He was just a Mennonite farmer from Pennsylvania, right. <laughs> you know. And, uh, but because they kept coming to him as a doctor, then he'd get on ham radio and call a doctor's net 
in America and talk to four or five doctors and say, all right, these are the symptoms, this and this and this and this and this, and they say, okay, we'll do this and this and this and this, or get on this kind of medicine or this kind of a shot or do this or do this, or they'd say, leave that alone, you're not qualified to mess with that, you know. And so he'd learn how to do stuff by ham radio, and of course he was limited in what he could do, but these doctors would help him do minor, minor remedies and, 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 and things and what have you. And so uh, one day he called me on ham radio, and I'm in Tulsa, and he said, Terry, he said, there's a, there's a gathering of the tribes down in Guatemala, and he said, there's a whole bunch of tribes that are going to be gathering here on the river, and basically they're coming to my place because I've got land cleared off, uh, acres cleared off, and he said, they're going to be gathering here and having their, having their tribal councils, and he said, would you come down while they're here and preach to them, preach a crusade? And I said, well, yeah, that'd be fun. I'd love to do that. And he said, well, by the way, do you know any doctors that you could bring? He said, it'd be great if I had a real doctor down here uh, to while you're here. He could, he could, you know, doctor. People would love that. And I said, yeah, I know two or three doctors. Let me, let me talk to some of them. And so I went to a doctor friend of mine and, and said, uh, would you like to go do some jungle doctoring while I do some jungle preaching? He said, yeah, that'd be great. And then uh, I went to another friend of mine who, who uh, uh, did you ever know Bob Lemon? No, you don't know Bob? Uh, Bob Lemon was a, was a lot of pe pe people when I go places and say, did you know Bob Lemon? They did know him. But back in those days, Bob Lemon just worked at uh, Sears and Roebuck in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Woodland Hills Mall and just a nice guy. And, and he was a song leader for Buddy Harrison at Buddy's church. Did y'all know Bob? Yeah. yeah, Bob and Mary Bell, they're both, both passed away now. But uh, so, and they were good friends. And so I just went down to Sears and Roebuck and, and said, Bob, I'm going to go to the jungles. I'm taking Dr. Bobby Daniels. Do you know Bobby Daniels? Dr. Daniels in, in Tulsa. A lot of Rainbow students knew Bobby. And, uh, and so uh, I, I said, I'm going to go down and do some jungle doctrine. And, I mean, preaching. And, and, and I'm taking Dr. Daniels down. He's going to do some jungle doctrine. You'd like to go with us. And Bob Lemon said, well, yeah. And he just quit his job right there and traveled with me for four and a half months. And then, then went to work for Buddy Harrison for several years. And went in his own ministry. And just passed away recently. So we were in the jungle. And, uh, and I can tell you lots of miracle stories about that, but I'll, I'll bypass them and just go to one. But I was helping the, the doctor in the daytime. I speak Spanish, and they speak Spanish as well as their own different dialects, but they speak Spanish too, especially for business, the men would. And so uh, I, I would interpret for the doctor during the daytime and help him in the, in the clinic. And then he'd, he taught me how to give shots and give worm medicine to, to almost everybody that came in and taught me how to do this, that, and the other little medical procedure things that I'd do for him. And then I'd interpret for him. We'd, we'd doctor people all day long. And then when it got evening or toward evening, so then we'd go down to the river and take a bath and change clothes. And we'd walk over to the, what we call the crusade grounds, and I'd preach. We had miracles and salvation. It's wonderful. And one night we'd been uh, in the clinic all day working, and, and then we went down to the river and had a bath and changed clothes. And we was walking over to the crusade grounds. And as we was walking over, uh, a, a couple, a Guatemalan couple, was coming toward us. We're going toward them to the crusade grounds. And, uh, and I saw there was carrying a baby in their arms, a little tiny, tiny baby. And the first thing I noticed about this baby is that I knew, I knew it was newborn. And I realized that this baby is not in the fetal position. Every newborn I'd ever seen in my life was in the fetal position. You know, they got, excuse me. They got their arms drawn up, you know, and they got their legs drawn up. This baby was just laying like this. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. There's something wrong with that baby. And as they got closer to us, I could see the baby just laid out like this. And uh, the, the couple said to me, they said, we heard there's a doctor here. And I said, yes, this is a doctor right here. 
And so uh, they said, our baby's sick. She's been like this. She's 13 days old. She's been like this ever since she's born. She doesn't cry. She doesn't do anything. She just like this. And so he took the baby and the parents and left and went back to the clinic. And I went on to the crusade. Now notice they didn't say, we heard there's a man of God here. See, which was fine with me. I wasn't mad, upset, jealous, nothing. It's just that it's just that I noticed where the spiritual authority was. Who had the spiritual authority over the baby? The parents. It's their baby. Who they give the authority to? The doctor. They didn't say there's a man. We heard there's a man of God and having miracles here. Would you pray for my baby? They said we heard there's a doctor, and I said sure. This doctor right here, not a problem with me. And I went on over and preached, and they went on to the clinic. Well, while I was preaching to this crowd, the missionary that lives there walked up on the platform behind me and whispered in my ear, and he said, the doctor said the baby's going to die, nothing can be done, get the people to pray. Well, first thing I thought, Arturo, is I, I, I don't want them to pray, they're sinners, they don't know how to pray. You know, and the ones that do know how to pray don't know how to pray the word, Renee was talking about. So I stopped and I said, there's the baby over here at the clinic that needs to be healed, so I'm going to pray and you agree with me. See, we, ought, we need to watch out even in church, about our prayer request. Right. You don't want to stand up in church and say, pray for my Aunt Susie, she's dying with cancer. Don't say that. Don't say that. See, say, my, 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 say, my Aunt Susie's been attacked with, this, this, with, with cancer, and we need to pray and believe God for her. But don't say, she, my Aunt Susie's dying with cancer. And so, uh, so I said, stretch your hands this way over toward the clinic and agree with what I say. And so I prayed, and I prayed for the baby, and I, said, I ended it by saying, Father, I decree as a man of God in the name of Jesus, in the office of apostle you've called me to, that baby will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord in Jesus' name. And then I went on, finished my message, prayed for the sick. Miracles happened. They gave testimonies of miracles. Salvation took place. Nobody's come to tell me anything about the baby. And so I finally made my way back over to the clinic several hundred yards away, and when I walked in, the doctor, Dr. Bobby Daniel, was just leaning over her. She's on the table, and he's leaning over her like this, and just sweat's just dripping. I mean, we're in the tropics in the jungle. It's hot. And uh, he looked up at me, and he said, Terry, what would you bring me down here for, man? He said, I need, I need, I can't do anything with this baby. He said, I need a pediatrics ward. I need a hospital. I need medicine. I need equipment. I, I, need, I need stuff. And uh, I said, well, buddy, you just don't get that stuff. This, you're welcome to my world. This, you know, you don't get that. And uh, I said, what's, what's going on? He said, I, he said she's going to die. He said, there's nothing in the world I can do for her. And uh, so while we were talking, she died. And he said, well, she's dead. And he took his stethoscope and listened, and then he, then he put, checked her nostrils, and he checked two or three ways and said she's dead. And uh, when he did, I just reached down, scooped her up, and held her up before God. Well, I'd raised people from the dead before, and I thought, I'll just raise her. And uh, what I didn't know is it was going to take 12 hours. I had no clue. I just thought it would be like all the other folks I raised from the dead. I told them to get up, and they did, you know. And uh, I prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for her. And I'd carry her around, you know, and I'd, I'd say, I'd say, sugar, I'm not going to bury you. You hear me? I'm not going to bury you. You'll live and not die. You'll declare the works of the Lord. You hear me, sweetie? I will not bury you. You will live and not die, and you'll declare the works of the Lord. And I mean, I'm praying for her, and I'm praying for her, and I'm praying for her, and I'm praying for her. Lost all track of time. Finally, at 3 o'clock in the morning, the doctor, I'm, I've got her like this, and the doctor said, Terry, Terry. And he jerked my arm and said, Terry. And I said, what? And he said, I'm concerned about you. 
he said, she's dead. D-E-A-D, dead. He said, now, put her down. Put her on the table. He said, let's go to bed. And uh, it'll be sun up here in a little bit. We'll, we'll bury her. He said, at least you got her parents saved hours ago. Something good came out of this. But he said, you know, you did everything you could as a missionary. It didn't work. I did everything I could as a doctor. It didn't work. Sometimes it just didn't work. And he said, you, you've prayed every prayer you know. It just didn't work. And I said, Bobby, you leave me alone. And nothing wrong with him. He's a good guy, and he's a word guy, and a faith guy. He's just being a doctor, you know, and nothing, he didn't do anything wrong. And I said, you leave me alone. I said, if you want to go to bed, you go to bed. But I said, I am not going to bury this baby. She will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And so I continued praying and talking to her. And three more hours went by. It's now 6 o'clock in the morning. I've been going to this for 12 hours. And, uh, and I said this to the devil. I said, devil, you might as well quit because I'm not going to. I said, you might as well leave because if you keep staying here, you're going to hear the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the word of God. I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit and stick you with it 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 until you're bleeding on the floor. I am not going to bury this baby. You have caught me one time where I am not in an American hospital subject to their rules. Now, I'm not mad at America. I'm not mad at hospitals. I'm not mad at doctors. I just understand the rules. It's their house, their rules. Are y'all here? Many a time I've gone to the hospital. So you probably have too, David. You probably have too, Arturo. And they're usually very kind to you and gracious to you, and they'll let you pray, maybe even 30 minutes. But then they'll say, now, Reverend, you need to, you need to go so we can do our job. And so, that, so I've had them do me that way. Now, Reverend, you need to go. And I said, well, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. Reverend, you've been here 30 minutes now, and, and, and we've got a job to do. And the family needs you. You need to, that's your job. This is our job. That's your job. You need to go out there and take care of the family. I said, no, 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 no. If I do this job, they won't need anything. Right. If I do this, they'll be okay. Yeah. Reverend, you need to leave. Well, their house, their rules. What are we talking about? Spiritual authority. I'm not mad about it, but I understand it. Right? Just like I can't come to your house and just do whatever I want to do because it's your house, your rule, and you'd say, Terry, you need to leave. <laughs> right? And I'd have to leave because it's spiritual authority. You've got the authority. And so I told the devil, I said, this is one time you've caught me where I'm not in an American hospital and I'm not subject to anybody's authority. I said, this is my jungle. I said, this isn't your jungle. It's my jungle. I've got authority here. I'm in dominion here. I'm in charge here. And I said, I am not burying this baby. I am not going to bury this baby. And however long you want to stay and play this game with me, all you're going to hear is the blood, the name, the word, the covenant, the blood, the name, the word, the covenant, the blood, the name, the word, the covenant. And you're going to lose, and I'm not going to bury this baby. And she'll declare the works of the Lord. And I guess that rat got discouraged because at that point he left and she cried. She started crying. And God raised her up. And uh, she's... Uh, She's, uh, I just got a picture from her the other day. Yes. The missionary sent me a picture just since we've been on this trip in California. He sent me a picture of her and two of her, two of her several kids. You know, and that, was in, that was in March of 1979. She's 13 days old. And so this is, this is 23. So what is she, 44 or something? Y'all do the math. And, uh, and she's married and got three kids. And she serves God and loves God. And uh, they just sent me a picture of her and a couple of her kids just the other day. Uh, 
But see, that's a spiritual authority. That's a direct result of spiritual authority. Because the parents had the authority. They gave it to the doctor. The baby died. When the baby died, the doctor put her down. Nobody's got spiritual authority. So I walk over and say, well, the parents don't have it. The doctor doesn't have it. Nobody's got it. I'm going to take it. So I took it. But then when I took it, it was a fight. I had no, I did not dream it would be a 12-hour fight. What if I'd have quit Mark at 11 and a half hours? Or 10 hours or 9 hours? What if I'd have quit when he told me at 9 hours, let's go to bed and she's dead? See? But that's a spiritual authority situation. Are y'all here? Because sometimes you have spiritual authority, as I said to the pastor in L.A. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't, but you can get it. And sometimes you don't and you can't get it. And so you have to size up every situation every time you get in a situation. Amen. I flew into Buffalo, New York one time. This is not a good story. It's a bad story. I need to tell another one after this so I won't leave you on a downer. <laughs> um, but, it's a, but it needs to be said because of spiritual authority. Uh, I flew into New York, Buffalo, New York uh, on a Sunday and I was going to preach that Sunday night. And it was going to be real tight getting to church from the airport, so I went ahead and dressed, uh, and I had on a suit and tie. In fact, it's back in the, what, the 70s when I had the, y'all, y'all remember ultra suede jackets? Oh, my Lord, I had on a burgundy ultra suede jacket. And, uh, and so we were driving to church, and pastors were driving, and I'm in the passenger seat, and, and, and four or five blocks away from the church, we, we stopped at a stop sign for a cross street, and then, then pastor started on a cross, and when he did, I looked down the street, and there was a huge crowd in the street down there about, about a, almost about half a block away. And I said, oh, man, looks like maybe there's an accident or some problem down there. I said, there doesn't seem to be an ambulance there, but it looks like something's going on. And pastor's driving. He said, well, that's too bad. And I said, well, too bad, nothing. I said, let's go help. Let's go see if we can help. And he said, well, Terry, we've got to go to church. And I said, well, we're not going to be so busy working like the devil for the Lord that we can't stop and help somebody. And I said, let's go back and see if we can help. He said, seriously? I said, seriously, let's go back and see if we can help. And so he turned around, went back, and drove down the street. And just as we got to the house, he said, oh, my goodness, I know this house. He said, the people that live there said they don't come to my church, but I've got a Christian school, and that, the teenage girl here goes to my school. And so uh, he stopped the car, and we made our way through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And we got up, and there's, this, there's that girl. And she, she's been run over. She's on her bicycle and a pickup hit her. And she's laying in the street. She's dead. And she's laying in the street just in a huge pool of blood. I mean, it was awful. And uh, so the pastor just said, where's her mother? And they said, oh, they've already taken her in the house. And people just all kind of standing around just gawking and, and waiting, I guess, respectfully until the ambulance came. I don't know what they were doing there. Just a whole crowd of people. And so, so he immediately went into the house to check on the mom. Well, I just jumped down there in that blood and grabbed hold of her, and I said, and I said, you foul spirit of death, get off of her. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Life, you come back into her in Jesus' name. And she went, boy, I mean, I had, a, I had an opening. Oh, those people backed up. I mean, they're saying, she's alive, she's alive. And, you know, and they're all backing up like this. And I just got right down there in her face, and I said, honey, I said, you listen to me. I said, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. And I said, your school, your school principal, and I named his name, 
I said, is, is here in the house with your mother, and I'm preaching at his church tonight. And I said, you listen to me, and don't you listen to anybody else. Do you hear me? Uh-huh, I hear you. And I said, are you saved? Are you born again? Do you know Jesus? He said, yes, I do. And I said, okay, you just listen to me. I'm praying for you, and it's going to be okay. And, and I, I'm praying. Well, I'm hearing the ambulance come. Well, I'm hearing the siren. Well, when the ambulance finally got there, now, by this time, they've gone back to tell the mama, she's alive, she's alive. So pastor's coming out, she's coming out. And uh, the ambulance stops, and they jump out, and they get the gurney out of the back, and they bring the gurney over. Well, when they do, the crowd parted to let them do it, and I did too. I just got up and backed up like this so they could do their job. So we're talking what? Spiritual authority, right? Nobody had it. She's dead. They would have picked up the body and left, but I raised her from the dead, so I took the, I took the authority. I didn't have it, but I took it. And so uh, they uh, put her on the gurney and put her in the ambulance, and I ran to the to EMT, and I said, hey, I need to go with her. I need to ride to the hospital with her. And he said, are you, are you a relative? Are you a family? And I said, no, I'm her minister, which wasn't quite true, but I am a minister, and I was ministering to her. And, uh, and he said, well, you can't, you can't go. You just got to be family. I said, no, I need to be with her. I said, I need to ride to the hospital with her, and then I'll leave. And he said, well, you've got to have family permission. And I said, well, wait just a minute. Don't leave. And I ran to her, to her mother. And I said, ma'am, uh, I need to ride to the hospital. I'm the guy that raised her from the dead. And she's, he, she's standing there with my pastor friend. He said, yeah, he raised her from the dead. And I said, I need to go with her. I need to get in the, in the ambulance with her and go to the hospital. And she said, no, we need our doctor. And I know she's in shock. I got that. And I said, ma'am, your doctor will be at the hospital. That'll be fine. But I need to ride with her. She said, no. We need our doctor. I said, ma'am, listen to me. The doctor will be at the hospital, but I raised her from the dead. I'm the only one keeping her alive. I'm the only thing keeping her alive. I need to be with her, and then we'll go to the hospital, and your doctor will be there. No. I said, ma'am, I can't get in the ambulance unless you tell them I can. I have to have your permission. No. So they drove off. She got in the ambulance, and they drove off. And I'm standing there, blood everywhere. And the uh, pastor said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, take me to church. I said, I'll go in the bathroom and clean up best I can, and I'll preach. And I said, she'll be dead in a little bit. He said, you think? I said, oh, I know so. I know so. And so we went to church, and I cleaned up, and I got in the pulpit, and I preached. And he walked up while I'm preaching and whispered my and said, they called and said she's dead. I said, yeah, I knew, I knew that. So I know that's a bad story. I hate to leave you on a downer. But you do see the spiritual authority side of that. You know, she doesn't know me. I don't know her. Nobody had spiritual authority. She's dead. But I took it. And, and I could have maintained it, except now that she's alive, now Mama's got spiritual authority, and the ambulance guy's got spiritual authority, and I'm a nobody. Y'all got that? Yep. Spiritual authority is a big deal. It really is. It's a big, big, big deal. And I know, I told you when we started the other night, we hadn't even scratched the service, and we still haven't scratched the service, even though tonight's our third night, tomorrow night's our last night. I even brought, I even brought six pages of, of notes tonight <laughs> just so I could have some examples. Some, I, they're all testimonies. I mean, I've got it broken down to weather. You want to hear about droughts? You want to hear about uh, uh, earthquakes? You want to hear about hurricanes? You want to hear about tornadoes? You want to hear? I'm, here's a water well. I've, 
people, events, nations. I could tell you stories for days. Days. I've got a partner up in Kansas that he just called us and talked to us the other day. We've known him since 1977, and he's partnered with, with us. At first, first Dean and Renee went up there to Kansas to preach because this church up there, there wasn't a church as a bunch of Christians, uh, called Brother Copeland's office to see if he could come minister to them. And he said, well, I can't come, but I'll send Jerry Savelle. And Jerry Savelle said, well, I can't come. My scout calendar's too big, too, too full, but I'll send uh, uh, good friends of mine, Dean Renee Garner. And then Dean Renee went up there and preached, and they said, look, we're, we're going to be starting a church. We're not going to be able to come up here, so, so we're going to hook you up with our missionary friend, Terry and Jackie Mines. And so I went up there for years, years. And, uh, and so one of the first things up there is uh, this, man, this guy came to me that, that called us the other day, still my partner after all these years, and he called me, the other, he called me uh, in one day, and he said, uh, he said, Brother Terry, he said, my, uh, uh, my family water well's gone dry. He said, we've had that water well all, since I was a little boy. And he said, that's the only water we have. So it's this dry, dry country up here. And he said, he said uh, how did I do that when I've got the volume turned down? I'm getting a telephone call on my iPad. Why would you ever want to do that? <laughs> and the volume's turned down anyway. And he said, uh, we've had that water well. He said, we got to have that. He said, it just went dry. And I said, all right. I said, I'll be up there in a couple of days. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some. And so I got up there and went out to the farm. And I said, I said, Glenn, go get me a, go get me a tube of six, piece of lumber, and uh, throw over that well so I can stand on it. And he, so he went and got it. And so I walked out there on that tube of six and looked down into that hole, and I started talking to it. Yeah. And I said, well, water, I have spiritual authority over you. Glenn's my partner, been my partner now for a while. And he's asked me to pray to get you working again. I've got authority. You belong to him. He's asked me to talk to you. And so I'm telling you, you start producing water and don't you go dry. You water these crops and you bring life to this place and you bring produce to this place and you bring fruit and, 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 and uh, wheat and grain. And uh, that thing started bubbling up. And uh, that was back in the 70s. And we was on the phone with him just the other day and said, Hey, Glenn, how's the water well doing? He said, Oh, man, it's still producing water. But see, there's all kinds of areas that you, we, don't, we don't think about praying about. I was just over at Marcus Molina's the other night, Friday night, and I read to him out of, out of 2 Kings chapter 6 where uh, the, the sons of the prophets went to Elijah and said, we need, to, we need to build a new place. This place is too small. Let's go down by the Jordan River and cut some wood down, and why don't you go with us? He said, okay. They went down there, and this guy was cutting down a tree, and when he did, the axe heads came off the end of the axe and went out in the water and sank, and, and all the way down the bottom into the muck. And, and that guy that did the, did the, lost it, Instead of him thinking, I'll run down to Ace Hardware, Walmart, or Home Depot, or Lowe's and get another axe head, he turned to the man of God. Who would even do that? His first thought was turn to the man of God. And so he turned around to Elijah and said, Master, alas, it was borrowed. See, most we people wouldn't go ask the man of God. They wouldn't call Arturo up or David up and say, Alas, Pastor, I need a new axe head. It was borrowed. And so the prophet said, well, where did it fall? And he said, out there in the middle. And so the prophet cut down a stick and threw it out there. And the Bible says, you read it, 2 Kings chapter 6, it says, and the iron did swim. The iron did 
swim. You know, David says something about last night, you know, and he said the iron didn't float. And I'm sitting there, I said, no, 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 it didn't float. No, no. <laughs> the Bible says it swam. And the reason we know when it's, we, the reason it, it says it did swim, but then it gives us the example that Elijah said to the guy that lost it. He said, just put your hand down there and take it. Well, it swam to the top and then swam right over there into his hand. It didn't just float. And he had to go out there in the water and get it. It swam right into his hand. So see, that's, that's, that's the spiritual authority that would have never happened had that guy not said, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. The man of God needs to do something about this. See, very few Christians turn to God anymore. Most Christians think, well, I'll do everything I can, and when nothing else works, I'll pray. Well, no, man, I pray first. I want to pray, I want to pray first. Most of y'all know my hitchhiker story where I picked up a hitchhiker when I was 24 years old living as a missionary in Mexico, and he stuck a gun in my ribs, and he said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, you can't kill me. I'm a man of God and got authority over you in the name of Jesus. And he ended up shooting at me five times as close as I am to Renee right here shot at me five times at point blank range and the bullets didn't hit me. Well, how'd all that happen? Spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. Y'all get anything out of all this? Well, I, how many of y'all know I'm not through? I, I'm going I'm to quit because we've, we've been in church two hours and five minutes here. So, so I'm going to... That's what Renee always says. She says, let's get some fried chicken and just, just stay a while, you know, and just... just Order some pizza, order some fried chicken. Let's just let's just preach. But anyway, now tomorrow night's gonna be our last session. So uh, uh, y'all, y'all, if y'all are gluttons for punishment, come on and and uh, let's see what else we can pull out of this. But I've got a lot to say about spiritual authority, and I've never got I've never got through yet. I've got a series back there on it. It's eleven CDs. You can see how long that is, and and, and I never did get through then. I don't I don't know if you'd ever get through with it. I don't know if you'd ever get through a spiritual authority. It's all through the Bible. And I tell you, we read stuff in the Bible, we just kind of read over it and don't see the spiritual authority in it. I just get amazed sometimes reading the Bible, the things that God said or Jesus said that the church just kind of skims over. You know, I look at all those scriptures on money in the Bible, and I think, God didn't have to say that. He could have just said give. But he didn't. He made a point, Old Testament and New, that if you'll give, I will bless you. I mean, I just think it's so cool that God said that. Yeah. That God said about tithing. He said, if you'll pay your tithes and your offerings, there's two things. It wasn't just tithe, the tithes and offerings. He said, I'll open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so much you don't have room to receive it. Plus, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Well, what's devoured your money lately? Your washing machine break down? Your car break down? See? Stuff's always devouring your money. But when you pay your tithe, you can say, Lord, you said you'd rebuke the devourer. Plus, he said, I'll write a book of remembrance about you. Plus, he said, your fruit won't cast its fruit before the time in the field. In other words, you're not going to have a miscarriage. You're not going to have abortions. You're not going to lose deals right in the middle of the deal. It's not going to fall apart. He didn't have to say any of that. But he did. I just think that's so cool. I get tickled to people that, that, that don't believe in tithing, don't want to tithe. And, and yet, and yet I, I tell them this. I say, well, well if, you, if you break this down to the tithing itself and the offering and then the rewards, God said, if you'll do this, I'll do this. 
So do you just throw in the if you're throwing this part away, are you just going to throw the rewards away? Because they still confess, well, God's going to bless me. God's going to bless me. Well, no, 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 no. You're throwing that out, remember? No, and it's covenant. It is covenant. It's covenant. It's total covenant. God said, if you'll do this, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. I'll open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing so much you can't receive it. I will write a book of remembrance about you. I will, 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 right? Your fruit won't cast its fruit, your vine won't cast its fruit one time in the field. So we're just going to throw all that away and say, never mind, God, you don't have to bless me. Ooh, not me, man. I'm going to pay my tithe and say, I got tithers rights, Lord. And then Jesus said, give. He could have just said give, but he didn't. He said give, and it'll be giving you again good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over the same measure you measure, you meet with all will be measured you again. He didn't have to say that, Tammy. I just think it's so cool that Jesus said that. And then Jesus said in Mark 10, 29, 30, he said, by the way, what you give for the gospel's sake and my sake, Jesus' sake, he said it'll, it'll be given back to you a hundredfold now in this life, in eternal life and life to come. And there's hardly any Christians or preachers that believe that. I believe it a whole haul because Jesus said it. Well, brother, I don't believe it. Well, don't worry about it. It's not going to work for you. <laughs> but Jesus said it. You're just going to call him a liar. It's New Testament. Are you just going to call him a liar and say, Pfft. He said, whatever you give for the gospel's sake and for my sake. Renee and I give offerings almost every day, but we do it for Jesus' sake. And we do it for the gospel's sake. Yeah. Amen. That offer we gave these girls tonight was for the, to help those girls that are doing it for the gospel's sake. And Jesus said, if what you give for my sake and for the gospel's sake will be returned to you now in this life a hundredfold and turn life and life to come. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, hey, give. Right. But he thought that up. No preacher thought that up. That's right. And then Paul said, hey, when you become, when you take seed and you plant it, he said, it becomes seed sown. And you become the sower. I'm not going to take up an offering. Nobody get scared. <laughs> you, you, it becomes seed sown, and you become the sower. In February of 1982, Oral Roberts called me one day. And he said, Terry, you and Jackie come up here and visit with me. And he did that all the time. He do it. He and Evelyn would do it. Boy, we'd just drop whatever we was doing, go eat dinner with him or go visit with him or whatever. Man, that's a man of God. And so he, he said, come up here. And so, man, we stopped what we was doing. We ran up there. He set us on the couch, and he took a big old easel, and he, he preached us a sermon, just our own personal sermon from Moore Roberts. And he did it on 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he preached it on, he did so, S-O-W, dash, E-R. He said, sower. When you sow seed, you become the sower, the one who sowed. He, made, he, he had just elaborated these words. And he said, and when you sow that seed, that seed becomes, then he wrote it all out, seed sown. He said, God doesn't bless seed not sown. God blesses seed sown. And when it leaves your hand, and goes into the bucket or the receptacle, it becomes seed sown, and you become the sower. He preaches this old, and he flipped over a page. It was about three pages long. And I'm sitting there watching all this, and then he said, I know what you're thinking. I said, you do? He said, yeah. 
He said, you're sitting there thinking that this is how I get my kicks. I just bring young preachers in here and preach them sermons right in present. And I said, yes, sir, that's pretty much what I'm thinking. And he said, Ms. Rooks, Ruth Rooks was his secretary for about 300 years. And uh, he said, Ms. Rooks, and she came in there and he said, he said, have you ever seen me do this before? She said, what are you doing? And she went around and looked at it and she looked at it and looked at it. And he said, I'm preaching them a sermon and writing the notes for it. And he, she said, no, sir, I've never seen you do that in all the years I've worked for you. He said, no, I've never done it before. I'm just doing it for you. He said, would you like a copy of it? I said, yeah, I'd pay for it. You know, this day and age, we just take our camera and take a picture of it. But back then, he said, well, Ms. Rooks will have to send it downtown Tulsa to, a, to, a, to an architect, to an abstract company, where they can copy something this big. But said, uh, he said, I'll have to keep the originals for the archives, but I'll get you the copy, and I'll send you the copy, which he did. But I'm just thinking, Paul didn't have to say that. God didn't have to say that. Jesus didn't have to say that. He didn't have to give us all those, all those tips on finances. You know, you know, David's one of these financial gurus, but, but, but you know, Jesus is smarter than him. <laughs> Jesus thought this stuff up. God thought this stuff up. Yeah. He's the one that invented sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, seed time and harvest. And are we just going to throw out the I'll bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you because we don't like to give for it? Well, not me. Not me. I just think it's cool the stuff the Bible says, but yet I'm surprised at what the church glosses over. It just keeps on moving. Yeah. Amen. Isn't that amazing? You couldn't get me to stop paying tithes, dear Lord Jesus. God told me you couldn't. You know, you, you all ought to read Malachi 3 sometimes. Did y'all ever read Malachi 3? I don't just mean those two scriptures about tithing. I mean, I mean Malachi 3, the book. All it's about is preachers getting in trouble with God. If you ever want to see preachers get in trouble with God, go read Malachi 3. It's, that's all it's about. He chews these priests out. He says, you're liars and you're cheats and you're thieves. And he said, you've been giving me blemished offerings. He said, you've been taking that little sheep. Instead of giving me the perfect sheep, you're giving me a little sheep with, with a blemish or blind or crippled. He said, go give that to your governor. See if he'll take it for the taxes. Well, he was ticked off. God does not like second best. That's right. I mean, seriously, he does not like second That's best. Right. I've been in so many churches in my 55 years of ministry, and, and pastors will give me a little tour. I don't know why pastors always do it, but I go to their church, and they go show me every room in the place, give me a tour. And, and so many times they'll open the door, and there'll be an old upright piano in there, and then they'll show me another room, be an old upright piano in there, another room, an old upright piano. And I'll say, how come you got so many old beat-up pianos in here, Pastor? Oh, well, you know, Sister Whooping Diddle, she got her a new one at home, so she gave us the old one. And Dr. Tootie Fruity got a new one at home, he gave us the old one. And... <laughs> I've never had anybody say, look at my new grand piano that Dr. Tutti Frutti bought me, <laughs> bought the church. No, no, they always give second best. Yeah. And God doesn't like second best. He doesn't want second best. And then you read Malachi 3, and he says this. He said, you priests that have despised my name, he said, do not be coming down to my altar, and do not be bringing an offering to me, and do not weep on my altar. I will not take your offering." That would scare the, that'd scare me if God told me I couldn't give him an offering. Don't be coming back to his altar. Don't be crying on his altar. Don't be giving him an offering. Man, I'd be begging down here at midnight, begging and pleading and crying. Can you imagine? And yet Christians just act like that so, well, I don't have to give to God. I don't believe in giving. I don't believe in tithing. I don't believe in, I don't believe in that. Well, people don't believe in hell either, but they're going there. If it's in the Bible, I got news for you. It's real. Amen. I don't know how I got on that, but I, I love that stuff. 
And I just can't imagine God telling me, hey, don't be coming to my altar anymore. Don't be praying prayers anymore. Don't be giving me any offerings anymore. I don't want you offering. What would I do? Gee, I guess I better hush. Y'all stand up with me. We've already had four or five rounds of preaching tonight. My, 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 my. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your name. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, thank you for, thank you for church. Thank you for pastors. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a book full of word that tells us how to live on planet Earth. How to make money, how to get money, how to give money, how to get healed, how to not be sick, how to, <laughs> how to escape the snare of the fowler, how to get loose from the devil, how to go to heaven and not hell. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I'll love you forever. I'll pay tithes forever. I'll give offerings forever. I'll cry on your altar forever. I'll <laughs> Don't ever run me off. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray this word tonight goes in the heart of every person. And we take it home with us and, it, and incubate it there. And it, 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 it produces there. It begins to take root there. It begins to grow there and produce fruit. And Father, I ask you that tomorrow night we bring this thing to a close with a, with, a, with, a, with a crescendo, with a climax. And Father, we're going to pray for the sick and, and pray healing and pray miracles. And Father, we expect open heavens, open heaven. We expect anointing. We expect healing. We expect miracles. We expect deliverance. We expect salvation. We expect infilling of the Holy Ghost. We expect blessings. We expect increase. We expect abundance. We expect. We've got our expectors on. And we honor you and honor your word. And we thank you for it and give you the glory and the honor and the praise and the majesty. Dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, 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 Amen. Oh, here comes another sermon. I'm just going to say this real quickly. Here, talk in the, here. The best, the best way, I saw this in the Spirit while Terry was praying. The best way for you to think about this with your money, with your family, with your children, with the bad doctor's report, is that God gave us spiritual authority and dominion in the earth. So we're literally, when we open our mouth, we're speaking on God's behalf. Amen. If Jesus were in your house and, and you invited him in and gave him spiritual authority, he would stand over those bills and he would begin to say what his word says about it. He would have you join with him on that doctor's report and he would say, now, I'm going to say this. And, I, and, I, and you agree with me. And whose so report are you going to believe? I speak on God's behalf. When I speak to my body, I'm saying what he would say if he were standing here with me. So I would take spiritual authority on his behalf over the bills, the grandchildren, 
the the attack of the enemy, if there's a legal dy dynamic involved, uh, the government wanting to do, say, no, I speak on behalf of the kingdom of God over this, and I am not going to, so we're standing in God's stead as though he were here to do what his will would be in your life. Amen? Amen. So I speak on behalf of my finances according to Malachi chapter 3 that God says, God says, God said I it. take spiritual authority as though God were standing here with me and I command the blessing of heaven to get to my house. I command the finances to get to my bank. I take authority. See, my intercession and my prayer is on behalf of whatever God's already said. He's already said, I have this. He gives us the power to get wealth. He said, by my stripes, you are healed. Not going to be, are, were. Isaiah 53, I were healed. <laughs> so I am healed. You know, so I'm saying when I stand over these things, I'm saying in spiritual authority that he told me to take dominion and do, I'm speaking on his behalf as yes. though he were here. So take that, begin to practice that over your yes. body. Nobody, you, you're, you know, I tell my body, I talk to my body all the time. We were talking about this. Yeah, you're not going to make old people noises. <laughs> Amen. Boy, that was hard getting out of that chair. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say in Jesus' name, I can run through the truth and I can leap over a wall. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to let my body act like it's an old people body. The atmosphere of the curse just wants to squash you down, and you just say no. I mean, I'm just going to move. We're going to do something That's fun. Right. You know? I'm not going to get around my grandkids and act like I'm some old decrepit lady. I mean, I've got to act like, come on, baby, let's dance. You know? I mean, we've got to act like we are full of the life of God. I have the life of God in me. You know, we have to begin to act like that. If you don't act like it now, if you don't start doing it now, don't wait another day. Say, no, we're gonna, God's going to help me restore the years that the canker worm and the palmer worm have eaten away. I may be under the barrel, but by God, you watch this hole in this barrel come up. I'm going to shoot up out of here like dynamite. Amen? You have to begin to talk now. Talk now. Tell yourself now. I'm in spiritual authority over my body. I'm in spiritual authority over my brain. I mean, even in, in Daniel chapter 4, I mean, it's just amazing there what old Jeho what's his name? Nebuchadnezzar said when he, got, when he got out of the field from being an animal. He said, when the right use of my mind returned to me and my reason and understanding came back to me, then I knew who God was. So I say all the time, I have the right use of my mind. I'm not going to lose my memory. I am, I am dementia free. I am memory loss free. I'm going to remember everything past current, you know, short-term and long-term. Right. I'm not going down. I told Terry, I said, my last dying breath will be, I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I am not, 
I am not. I am not. My body belongs to Jesus. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. And I'm telling you, I may have started a little lady doing late, later doing than I should have done this, but in Jesus' name, we're coming up. We're not going down. We're living high. We're not living low. Amen.